Thanks, Gwen. Good morning, church. We're going to do scripture reading now. Um, So the passage today is going to be in Philippians. Um, If you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Uh, You can find the passage this morning on page 1784. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. All right, Philippians 1, starting at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. Good morning. Gwen said I had to wear this shirt. She got one for Nick, too, so he went fishing. And, uh, no, sports camp is great. I started out as a kid's pastor and fully understand what they're going through. That's why I'm no longer a kid's pastor. But uh, uh, just a couple of things. Um, You, without knowing it, had the pleasure of giving $10,000 away this week. Um, to shelter from a storm. It's a great ministry. It's their fifth year anniversary uh, this weekend. They have some houses and they take in uh, single moms with children and make sure that they have a trade, can do something. They take care of them for a year so they can become self-sufficient. It's a marvelous discipling opportunity. And um, one of the premier, I think, ministries in Madison for the way that they handle the gospel and and really care for the people. So thank you. Also, uh, there'll be AMA. Yeah. There'll be uh, AMA today. Ask me anything. You can text to 608-836-3236. Typically, that shows up on a slide. I don't know if it will or not. Very good. In pastoring and creating ministry, Over the last 45 years, I've had the privilege of watching the church do uh, some amazing things with people. God doing what God does, restoring, rejuvenating, transforming, setting people back in the right place. I've also seen people do some very terrible things to the church and to the body of Christ. When the gospel is not the preeminent core of a church, it becomes a horrendous place. It becomes hypocritical. It becomes legalistic. It becomes a place that's painful for people. And it becomes a blight on God's story. Nick and Devin and I often talk about the fact that it's an absolute pleasure to serve you here at High Point because we don't hear about infighting. We don't hear about 
wars over color of carpet or simple things. We know that you love the Father. We know that you love the salvation that's available to us through Christ, that you embrace the Holy Spirit and the work that he does in our lives, and that you strive to keep Scripture at the, at the middle of everything. And, and that's what makes a difference in a church. For centuries, I haven't used this one, assume it's the green button. The true church comprised of, of those who believe the gospel message is by grace and through faith, has had to fight two continuous battles, and that's what Paul writes about in Philippians. One inside the walls to persevere in the faith, and the other fight to fight and protect from evil outside of the walls. When the internal battle is not fought, the church becomes lazy, mean, and it's ungracious to those who seek comfort from Christ. In traveling through Europe and, and uh, the UK through Lodi, there's a Lutheran church there that used to be a Lutheran church, now it's a gift store. We see shells of buildings that once heralded the gospel. What happened? Why are they now without their soul? Why are they now empty of that which brought joy? Why are they now art galleries and high-end apartments, gift stores, art galleries? It's because it is so easy to slip into what culture says is the norm. When the walls of the church become porous, culture slips in. And when culture slips in, the gospel slips out. I would venture to say that 40 to 50% of the churches in Dane County do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach what's pleasing to men. They avoid the passages of Scripture that might be contested, that might make somebody uncomfortable. They look at Scripture through the eyes of culture rather than looking at Scripture through the eyes of Jesus. We look at culture through that lens of the Bible to determine what is right, what is healthy, what should we be pursuing. It's amazing to me, I think I mentioned before, another person and I were asked to leave a pastor's meeting because we talked about Jesus. I've had a pastor in this town look me in the eyes from 12 inches away and say, I hate you. You're everything that's wrong with Christianity. People say, how could that be? They're a church. They forgot to fight the good fight of faith. They forgot to fight for what Jesus did on the cross. I was at a meeting with the Council of United Methodist Church, uh, Asbury, over on university a couple weeks ago. And one of the members of the council said, are you aware of what's going on in the United Methodist Church at the denominational level? I said, yes, unfortunately I am. They're splitting into several different components based on how much they want to believe the Bible. Then he asked this question. He said, what's going to happen to us here in this building? He asked about the building because in, UMC, in UMC, 
the domination owns the property and the building. And so if a church wants to withdraw, they could easily lose their building. Now, they did just put into place a 17-step procedure, a very strenuous procedure, where a church could walk through those things and retain their building, but it's a very difficult path to do. He said, what's going to happen to us? My response was, keep preaching the whole counsel of God and standing firm in the faith, fighting for unity amongst yourselves, and God will keep you. Because that's not what has happened around the world in so many places. And today, we're in danger, right here at High Point, of that happening to us if we don't stay vigilant and fight for unity amongst ourselves, to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it stays the center and the core of what is preached. It's so easy to want to be attractive to people. It's so easy to not preach a certain passage, not talk about a certain topic because people will get upset and leave. But it's the counsel of God. And when the counsel of God is preached, there's health. And health isn't always easy. Health can be difficult. The majority of exercise equipment in, the, in North America is great for laundry drying because health requires work. And many of us are, we don't like work. We like comfort. And comfort is right before lazy. And so one of the things that Nick is always saying is crucify the flesh. Stand against worldliness. Not that having things in such is wrong, it's not. But when they are elevated to the point of idolatry, they are wrong. And we have to be careful, we have to be prudent. First Timothy 6, Paul's talking to a young man, Timothy, and he says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul calls the Philippian church to be careful, to take note of their daily lives. Why? I think it's because we live in the world, we live in the culture around us. We go to work, we go to school, go to play, we have friends who aren't Christians, we have friends who are, but the majority of our lives are in a non-Christian environment. It's just where we live and it becomes part of us. Have you ever noticed that in Christianity, Paul has this wonderful saying to put on and to put off. He says, put on the armor of God. Put on the various things. Several years ago, Nick walks us through a, a series out of 2 Peter and to put on all of the various things that we need to be disciplined in doing so that we can walk in our, in our faith. In the world, you don't have to put on anything. It just naturally seeps in. We turn on TV. We know all the logos because we're 
invaded with the marketing daily, hundreds and thousands of times. We see those things, and we take them in, we hear the music, we hear all these things, and there's nothing wrong with those things if, we're not, if, we're, if we are disciplined to stand firm against what is wrong. But it takes effort. And so Paul cautions. A lot of us think, well, that would never happen to me. In 2011, I was still working with the Billy Graham organization, and and that was kind of in the beginning years of, of our girls moving away from Christ. And I struggled over my adult daughters leaving the faith because that's the most important thing in the world to Estelle and I, our relationship with Jesus and that our kids would have that relationship as well. And I found myself one week bargaining with Satan in my head and my heart. It was a real conversation. And the bargaining chip was, I will leave ministry if you will leave my girls alone. See, when Satan fights, he doesn't fight fair. He can't touch God, and so he touches God's children. Fortunately, I had amazing counsel. And on the Saturday morning following that week, Esther and I sat down at breakfast, and I told her I was ready to leave ministry if Satan would leave our daughters alone. As she usually does, she just went to Scripture and said, don't you know that he's called the deceiver, the liar, for a purpose, for a reason? You leave ministry and you're out of where you belong, he still keeps the girls. What are you thinking? It was like a slap in the face. I knew that, but I wanted my girls to know Christ in the worst way to come back to who he is, to come back to who they were. And I was willing to do anything. It can happen to any of us if we're not vigilant. It's so easy to justify our actions. It's so easy to justify sin, justify thoughts. And so Paul says, whatever happens, That's a big statement. Whatever happens. In the premarital class, I asked the question, what would it take for you to want to leave your marriage? And the sad thing is that sometimes there are answers. There need not be because if we walk in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that which goes wrong can be redeemed. It can be restored. It takes effort, it takes time, but it's there. What would it look like for you to leave the faith? What would it look like for you to allow the culture to, to seep in to your belief system? For you to choose not to believe certain passages What would it take? And Paul says, whatever happens, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be strong. We have to stand firm against the ideologies and those that would oppose us. Sometimes we think church is just this wonderful place 
It is, but it's a place where we get our marching orders to live out in the world. And sometimes the marching orders are difficult. They're hard. We're told to stand firm. We're told to not accept. We're told to even stand against. How many of you like conflict? That's what I thought. That's what we're called to do. We're called to stand against conflict because conflict is coming at us all the time. Last year, a parent brought me a first grade reader from Madison Public Schools, and in one of the pages, it was about being a person, and one of the pages said this, when you were born, your mommy and your daddy and the doctor made their best guess as to whether you were a boy or a girl. And when you're old enough, you can decide for yourself. Schools are meant to be safe. Hospitals are meant to be safe. Government is meant to be true. But when they begin to slide so that they don't offend, so that everything can be affirmed, everyone can be affirmed, they become dangerous. And we have to stand. We have to be terrified to the point of having action. But are we willing to be that? Are we willing to stand up against whatever it is and say, no, I believe truth says this because that's part of whatever happens. Live your lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippi, much like today, culture was, was haywire. It was going the wrong way fast. Morality was sliding. Money was everywhere. They had things. Philippi was a Roman colony set in the midst of what they con considered barbarians. They prided themselves in, in being Roman. And we know from history that wasn't necessarily something you should always pride yourself in. But they did. They saw themselves as set apart, as somebody different. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now listen to these. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over, through, and in all. He says a similar thing in Colossians 1. It's amazing how many times in Paul's writings this theme stands out. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Just that sentence in itself. Do you pray for each other during the week? Do you pray for the members of your family here at High Point and beyond in the greater body of Christ? Do you find yourself rehearsing the names of the people you're sitting with right now or next to? Do you even know the name of the person you're sitting next to right now? 
I encourage you at the end of service, find out what it is so you can pray for them this week, so you can thank God for them this week. But he goes on, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Lord. It's not just enjoying the privileges that the gospel affords us, but the responsibilities of being called by that name Christian. Christian doesn't mean I'm the most valuable person. I told Gwen if I'd known it, that was the big thing, I wouldn't have worn the shirt. And then she didn't wear one. We'll have a talk this week. What are your responsibilities? One is to fight for the unity of the faith. One is to uphold the standard of the gospel. How do you do that? How do you do that? Your thought life, your behavior, your actions, how you handle your customers, your clients, your boss, your children, your wife, your husband. What's your attitude on the sports field? How are you different day in and day out, second by second, because of Jesus Christ in your life? I remember back when I was first starting in ministry, I had a softball team. We were in part of a church league. After about half of the season, I was so tired of getting sworn at and cussed out and all kinds of things from other teams in this church league, we joined a tavern league and had a lot of fun. <laughs> it was sad. Are we different? Can they listen to us? and hear the difference? Can they look at our relationships and see the difference? Are they attracted to who we are because of who we are? 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Then we can be a beacon of light. Then we can stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul references the life in Christ to the Philippian church in this, this manner. He says, and it's, it's paraphrased, but he, he says, a colony of foreigners whose organization reflects in miniature the polity of the homeland. We are Christians, not in this world, or not of this world, but are citizens of heaven. How often during the day does that thought go through your head that you are a citizen of heaven? Where Christ is king, the gospel is the law, and as Christians, we are citizens. Do you see yourself in that way? Because that's who you are. It's so easy to get caught up with Dane County. And I've lived here long enough, seven years now, to know that the adage of it's 
what, 88 acres surrounded by reality, is true. But my citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. 1 Timothy 6.20 says this, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Turn away from pointless empty talk and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, which some, by professing it, have denied or have deviated concerning the faith. How many worthless conversations have you had this last week? I lost count. How many mind-numbing TV shows? Just to pass the time. We have to be vigilant in who we are because of who we are. Our lives matter to Jesus. And they matter to those around us who we influence who don't know him yet. The Christian fight is a double front. We have to fight for each other. We have to pray for each other. We have to encourage one another. We have to love one another. And then outside we have to stand firm, but in such a way that is appealing in such a way that is winsome, in such a way where truth is acknowledged. You need to think about what that looks like at work. You need to think about what that looks like in disciplining your children, in talking to your spouse, and talking to other relationships and friends. Because whatever happens, you need to live your life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work that he did in his death and resurrection so that you could be called Christian, his son or daughter. When we went to work at the Cove, which is a retreat center down in Asheville, North Carolina, the first week was a lot of learning the lay of the land. And I was talking with the security team, and, and they were quite upset about this one thing. They said, every Saturday morning, we've got to go out and clean the front gate. I said, why? They said, because on tape, and they showed me the tape, a, a, a witch's coven showed up every Friday night about 1 a.m. and urinated and defecated on the, on the gate. And they said, we got to go clean it up. I said, have you ever thought that that's the middle of spiritual battle? That the best that they can do against the truth that's being taught here week, day, and week out is urinate on the gate? That's the best they have? Maybe you should pray for them while you clean up after their foolishness. And thank God that the truth stands, that these gates mean something, that's what being, that what is being taught here is valid and it has validity. See, the world can't change the truth of the gospel. The world can't replace Christ Jesus as king. The world can't deny your citizenship in heaven. It's impossible for that to happen. You are secure. You have been bought with a price. And Paul says, now, whatever happens, let your life be a symbol, let your life shine as an element 
to all who want to see of what Jesus has done, of who you are because of him. Paul then transitions to suffering. I thought about that. What is suffering? To me, it's, it's something that, it's a choice, and it's something that happens because of that choice that's contrary to the norm. Because we're Christians, we don't get to act like culture. We don't get to act like our flesh wants us to act when somebody says something bad to us, reviles us, speaks something terrible about us. We get to respond differently and more powerfully, I might add, but differently. We get to suffer because of that. We get to put up with it. We get to do it. It's a privilege. And he says, when you are suffering, when you're making that choice to be different, when you're choosing to swim upstream, it's evidence of your salvation. Otherwise, why would you do that? It's evidence that you're different. It's evidence of a different spirit within you. And that different spirit is giving you the ability, the power to swim upstream. And not only swim upstream, but make it upstream, to stand firm. It changes how we think of suffering. He calls it a gift. When's the last time you called suffering a gift? I don't. I have other words for it. But rarely has it been called a gift. And yet, as I look back in my life, I see the moments where I had to make a choice that was difficult, and I see who I am because of that choice, and I'm grateful. Because it's a gift. It molds me. It shapes me into, further into the image that God created me to be. More and more like Christ. It doesn't come easy. It comes by choice. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Suffering is redemptive. We see it in the resurrection. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He knew what was going to happen on the other side of pain. We were going to happen. The church. And that brought him so much joy that he was able to endure the cross, the pain of the cross. When you recognize that suffering or discipline shapes you and makes you into what God wants you to be, it becomes worth it. So the big question of every sermon, I think, should be, so what? I was visiting with a friend um, in McLean, just outside of D.C. There's about 8,000 people in the auditorium, and the pastor gives his initial kind of history of the passage and, and such, and he throws his hands up 
and 8,000 people yelled, so what? I kind of looked around and the guy was with it every Sunday. <laughs> Why did Paul pin this to us? And a better question is, what are we going to do with it? So what? What difference does it make, Paul? What difference can it make? Let's say you're at work, and somebody takes your work and presents it as their own. They get the raise. You don't. They tell the story different. What are you going to do? How are you going to keep your head in that situation? It's not fair. Do you just roll over and die? No. Being a Christian doesn't mean being a doormat, but it does mean standing up for what is true, what is honest. But it also means taking what's given for what it is. We're not always right. Sometimes we are right and we get called wrong. It's very interesting that God-fearing, gospel-preaching, believing people today are called intolerant because we stand for truth. And we stand up to what is not true. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when, well, this happened to a friend of mine a few months ago. His uh, fourth grader came home from school and said, um, I guess I'm a boy. She's a beautiful little girl. And he said, no, you're, you're a girl. She said, no, my teacher said that because I play with the boys, I must be a boy. And he's like, well, your mommy and daddy were athletes and your grandparents were athletes and, and we enjoy sports and just because you play sports doesn't mean you're a boy. You're a girl. And he said, what do I do? He went and had a talk with the teacher and, and came to a different understanding. But he had to do it in a way that still promoted who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't a pushover. He got so fed up in the temple, he overturned the tables and said, you're not going to defile my father's house. I love the scene where the man has a withered arm and the Pharisees are talking to him about what he's doing on Sabbath. I think just out of spite, he straightened the guy's arm just to say, oh yeah? I don't serve the Sabbath, but Sabbath serves us. What does the good fight look like for you? Are you aware that Satan is an adversary and that you have the authority in Jesus' name to tell him to cut it out? He's there to distract you, to dissuade you from who you are, what you think, make you forget who your king is. Even help you understand that the opposition is not the body of Christ. It's the world. Will you be convinced and are you convinced 
that God through the Holy Spirit can sustain and guide you? How many times does prayer look something like this? I've tried everything else. I think I should pray. Instead of praying first, asking the Father what he thinks you should do, consulting the Bible to see what it says you might do, talking with those around you who you know are believers, and you can trust their counsel to see what you should do, and then do it. See, there's great counsel sitting right here. The people that you know as friends are good counselors. Listen to them, but then check it against the Word. Check it against your spirit in prayer. Does it seem right? Does it seem right to the Holy Spirit? Does it seem right to you? Then do it. This isn't a lone show. It's not a a lonely trip. All of us are on the journey, and we can use each other in it. So I want to encourage you. Fight the good fight here. Fight for unity. When you hear somebody that has a different view that's not biblical, not to say that there aren't different views in the Bible on same topics at times, but when it seems contrary to God's word, don't just shake your head and walk away. Talk to them. Seek counsel. Pray with them. Let them know that what they think matters. Don't be lazy. Fight for your brothers and sisters. Fight for unity so that whatever happens, we can stand. A few months ago, I told you that we had given the pastor of a, at a United Methodist a, a gift because he stood up for the gospel and half of his church left in November. Talked to him the other day, and the numbers are back up. God has brought new people in. Why? Because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. As long as the gospel is the center point of this pulpit, this church will stand. But the moment it fails, run because we are no longer healthy. But right now we are. Fight for it. And then when you go out, stand firm. Stand tall. Be a beacon of light. Be a beacon of hope. Because people are watching you. People are listening to you. Let them see Jesus. Father, thank you that you are fully aware that this is not an easy journey. Your Holy Spirit does empower us, but we still get to make those choices to walk in it. Father, I ask that you would give these people and those listening online the power this week to walk well as Christians to live their lives worthy of the gospel, to live their lives worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that others can look at us 
and say, I don't know what you have, but I want it in my life because I don't have structure. I don't have solidity in my own life. I don't have peace in my own life. I struggle with guilt. I struggle with loneliness. I struggle with anxiety, and you seem not to battle with those things to the degree that I do or those in the world. Thank you that you give yourself to us so that we can overcome. We love you. And we choose this day again to stand worthy of your call. Amen.